0: This is the 19th Tee Podcast. Welcome back. Great to have you with us once again. Joining me from across the other side of the country is not Kieran Marsh, but with an equally as impressive setup for a podcast, uh, Blake Collier. Mate, welcome to the 19th Tee. Very excited to have you with us. Obviously a golfer, but also you were just telling me you host a golf podcast of your own. Is it? Oh, you didn't tell me if it was a golf podcast. Is it a golf podcast? No, it's not golf
1: related, but um, it's a What's the podcast? Give it
0: a plug. Oh, it's called Never Too Late with Blake,
1: so it's a bit of a health sort of podcast and um, in that space of wellness and health that I sort of got into during the COVID lockdown. So I thought I wanted to give that a go and spread a bit of the um, information that I'd been learning and reading about. So yeah, it's been going quite well. I think I've put out about five or six episodes so far and um, I haven't put out any out for a few months, but I'm looking to get back into it and soon.
0: And on, on Spotify and Apple and... Yeah, 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 it's yeah. on all of
1: that. Yeah, awesome. so Spotify, Apple, so yeah, go check it out. I've got an Instagram page as well, so um, there you go. check it out there as well. Oh, but well, uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on.
0: No, anytime, mate. We really appreciate you you joining us uh, in the midst of, I guess, the twenty twenty two PGA uh, Australian PGA season. I guess it's got such a long name, but uh, hmm. mate, how how's the season been? You you've played some really nice golf as of as a 2022, I mean, you have throughout your career, but you know, you've had some, some good finishes, TPS, Victoria finishing fourth T9 at, at Murray river. Like it's been, it's been a good, good 2022 for you so far.
1: Yeah, so far it has. I mean, it took me a little bit of, um, of time to get back into it after the time off golf through the lockdowns. Um, and then really the more and more I've played and the more events that have come on, um, I've started to, I guess, get more comfortable out there and, um, really piece together some good results so um, as you mentioned before the fourth and the ninth and um, yeah i mean it's been going quite well and um, working my way up on the order of merit um, on the tour so and uh, yeah it's going well
0: how i mean was it has there been some noticeable difference i guess with the in the past two years it's something that we do want to explore with you obviously it's been tough going for certainly a young professional like yourself having joined the ranks and and you're obviously very early i guess for for lack of a term early in your golfing career but where has there been something noticeable that's changed in the past two years that you've kind of come back after this break and really hit the ground running i guess has it been just a heap of practice i I guess obviously the the mindfulness and the wellness side of things you've been working on as well
1: yeah well that I think the thing was I turned pro in October, 2019. Mm. So <laughs> yeah, I I played a few Australian tour events and then went to European tour school and corn ferry tour school at the time. And I got through the first stage of Europe and then Christmas and then worked my way into the Aussie stuff and um, got my Australian tour card, went to in March. I went to Thailand for the Asian tour final stage and just missed out on getting my full card there. So I've got some partial status there. And then a week after I got back, we went into lockdown. So um, up until, I guess, kind of December, November last year, I'd only played 10, 11 events as a pro in that two-year period. So it was really difficult to kind of feel like I had any footing underneath me. And And turning pro at that time in 2019, I felt like, I was really ready to make that transition and then see where it would take me from there. And I had high hopes and I was 23 at the time and now 25, I feel like I'm starting now, sort of now that there's events in a row I can play and, and build up through all that. But during that time, the last two years, I, I was in, living in Melbourne, we weren't able to go to the golf courses. So I was still doing a bit of a work bit of work at an organic supermarket that I'd worked at from when I finished high school through to when I turned pro. And and that was really good because it got me out of the house and um, I was able to yeah work five or six days a week and keep myself busy. Um, and then, yeah, I just started listening to podcasts and reading and um, a bit of guidance from Dean Kinney, who is now the coach of the Victorian golf program. He came down from New South Wales, I think it was 2019, um, and just planted a few seeds. I went through my own research and um, yeah, it's just, it's just put a lot of things in perspective and, and coming back to the tournaments now, it's more about just getting out there, enjoying it, learning and um, instead of putting pressure on the results, just trying to get better each day and letting those results sort of come and take care of
0: themselves. I mean, we definitely want to unpack this past two years with you because we had Mike, Mike Clayton on the uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago and he actually singled you out as a player who <laughs> has probably suffered the most in the past two years. You, as you mentioned, you turned pro on the eve of lockdown. You're, I guess, rapidly rising through this. You, you know, you've know, you got status in Asia. You, you're playing on Q schools in um, the US in in the Europe as you mentioned you've got status here like things things for lack of a term you've got the world at your feet you can kind of do whatever you want and then it just goes like that overnight and mm. I guess that that um I guess the frustration as people would know listening to this podcast is there's been no events for you guys to play here in Australia so it has been super challenging for you I guess like can you contextualize how stressful that that kind of two years has been for you because as you said you kind of Starting your pro career two years later than you should have been starting it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like I feel like golfing wise, I'm still 22, 23, just coming out of the amateur stuff, just turning pro. When when I think about it, I just turned 25, and I'm like, wow. Like yeah, I feel like I'm starting now. And and when I turned pro, like I my first event was the Vic PG, Victorian PGA, and I didn't get I asked for an invite and didn't get one that week, so I had to qualify into the tournament and shot a 61 in the qualifying (laughs) to get in and then had a 61 in the second round as well and ended up with a fourth finish there. So I kind of felt like I made a transition there and was able to hopefully build on that. And it just wasn't the case. And the hardest thing was, I guess, sort of the start of 2020, we got a taste of some events and that what we thought was going to go back to normal and, I was pumped about that and doing all I could. And then it just kind of got taken away again. And then um, that was the hardest part was more the middle of last year and the end mm-hmm. of last year when it just felt like we were doing it all again and that there was no sort of uh, prospect of it ending. Um, and that the first lockdown was, I felt like I had a lot of motivation. A lot of the guys in the Victorian program, we were doing sessions on zoom and with our physio and coaches and there was all that buzz about doing what you could at home. And then as it dragged on and on, it was a lot harder to keep myself accountable. Um, I mean, there was times where I, I didn't and times when I did, but when I knew that there were some tournaments coming up, that was really when I was like, all right, like, yeah, let's, let's switch on and start doing what I could at home to yeah, prepare for that. And it was more mentally and physically, like I was doing, drills that I needed to do for my golf every day Um, and then adding in like meditation practices and some cold exposure in the shower and stuff around diet. And I learned a lot about cooking. So it was just things like that that I I wanted to improve on for myself, which has now carried on into my golf, which
0: has been great. I guess in, in that time, was there ever a period where you kind of thought like given that there were no events scheduled the there was nothing planned i guess was there ever a time where you were kind of like i don't know if this is going to return to normality in australia in the near future where where i can play golf at a young age like we said you've lost two two years out of your your career was there ever a time where you were like right i might just have to go to europe and try my best with status and and get whatever status i can or go to asia like did that ever enter your mind or was it always just let's just work towards what we can with you know your coaches and and whatnot over zoom
1: yeah so a few of the guys went over to the u.s last year to do some pay-to-play and some monday qualifiers and and i had thought about that and and luckily jeff ogilvy's moved back to melbourne and i've i've been able to get quite close to him and um, get some really good advice off him and we, we discussed the like me maybe going over there and, and at the time it just like financially didn't work out. He's, we would spoke about if I went over for six or eight weeks and the money that I, I would probably spend and the prospect of not knowing when I might be able to come back with flights to Australia. And he said, you're in no rush, like just sit on it, like wait here for this little period. And then and next year we'll have a bit better idea on what it might look like. So that's what I decided to do. And, and I'm happy with that decision. Um, yeah like I could have gone over and done all that but I could have spent two months overseas and maybe not I might have played eight rounds of competitive golf whereas Mm. um, I was able to stay at home keep working and make some money and then and Jeff started up some games where we all would catch up and and play money matches together so I was still getting in the competitive stuff when the golf courses did open so yeah I think I was happy with that decision and and um, then hopefully this year after the Australian tour stuff finishes in in April, I'll look to head overseas to do maybe some of that stuff and then tour schools at the end of the year. So,
0: How much uh, – I mean, I'll come back to Jeff Ogilvy in a minute because it sounds like he's been a great mentor to you, but uh, how much did your game suffer in that time where you couldn't go to golf courses? I mean, it's great that, you know, everyone can putt inside, everyone can have a net outside. It, it, It's not the same though, like, you know, if you can still feel like you hit a good one into a driving net, but you know, (laughs) chances are, you know, it's come out completely wrong for most amateurs out there. So how difficult was that? And then when you did get back to the course, was there a noticeable difference at all? Or was it pretty, pretty much where you left it?
1: Yeah. Well, the thing was, it was, I think it was like October, 2019, um, my family we moved into an apartment so I didn't have a net or anything to, oh, no. to kind of use for that period <laughs> yeah but but in a way I almost thought it was a good thing because I've said this to a few people um close to me is like during school I was playing footy basketball golf and primary school all the way through and then as soon as I finished high school it was it was straight into the Victorian Institute of Sport and the golf program that was three days a week and and golf all around that and I'd never had a chance to stop at all um so it was actually quite a good time to kind of um, stop in that regard but then with without having a net i was able to work on the drills more inside and more feel based rather than i feel like if i had a net i probably would be videoing my swing and trying to get it to look a certain way rather than Yeah. yeah like how my body um could be moving so um, yeah, I think it was a good thing. It was a little bit difficult. It was a bit rusty each time I came back. Like, <laughs> gosh, it, it felt felt very strange. I'd never had any time off um, for that length of time, so it was a little bit rusty. But after a month, like a few weeks, it was
0: it wasn't too bad. Back on track. No, no damage to the to the apartment. No broken windows <laughs> or anything.
1: Oh, uh, I did have a a little incident. I had a like a plastic sort of piping with a um, with a light on one end and I was swinging it and mum and dad like god don't don't swing it any faster than that and I did one and the light flew out the end and hit the roof and and that was the end of that so (laughs) there was no more of that after that Um, yeah
0: (laughs) well it it must be said I mean your swing looks great at the moment I mean I was just going through your Instagram like your ball striking has been Fantastic, particularly this year. But, I mean, it's clearly something that you've worked on. Doing those drills is clearly translating now to the golf course. And you seem to be striking the ball really well. Overall, your game seems in a great place. But, you know, that iron play just seems to be some a real strength of your game at the moment, particularly what we've seen on on some tri- tricky courses throughout 22 anyway.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that's it's been a strength of mine for a few years now. And, um, and even since... Um, I guess COVID and then once when Dean Kinney came down to Victoria, it was a bit of a shift for me from a bit of like working on technique, on the range, on the short game area, to more getting out on the golf course and learning how to score. So, Leah, learning how to score with what you've got. So now when I get the chance, it's I'm going to go play nine holes. I'm going to go play 18 holes rather than I'm going to go spend an hour and a half, two hours on the range. And that is, that's helped me personally massively. Um, I see it now in, in tournaments. Like in the lead-up to an event, I'll play 18, um, 18 on a Monday, Tuesday, and then nine holes on a Wednesday in practice rounds and then, yeah, get out there. So then I'm, I'm more in a scoring sort of focus and um, working on that. But, yeah, I mean, my ball striking has been good, and I think those drills during the, the lockdowns have definitely helped. Um, but it's always been sort of a strength of mine and i just like enjoy like yeah keep building on that and um sharpening that and yeah definitely playing on courses help that a lot just to learn to adapt to different conditions and and when you're on the golf course each shots one of one whereas on the range or on the chipping green you just pull another golf ball and and try it again so yeah, yeah your muscle memory works a bit better when it's just just one of one so it's helped a lot
0: It is, it's fascinating because I came to the realisation that my game is in such a bad place like a month ago and I was like, it cannot be this bad. Like, you know, my handicap's gone out from 18 to 21 and I'm like, this is just going in the wrong direction. It's just, it's not right. And <laughs> and I love the game. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to actually put my head down and, and practice. And, you know, you go and it's exactly right. You duff a chip and you're like, oh, whatever. Like I just hit the next one and then you hit it well and, and whatever. But then the thing that I found really difficult was when you go to the range and I'm really trying to work on some things that my coach is trying to instill into me. And that's great, but then you go and play nine holes, and you just get back into all the old bad habits that you've always done. Like it must—it was interesting where you raised it just before that you weren't worried about having the prettiest swing, or you weren't worried about having the perfect swing. And I think so many amateurs, particularly, grow up in the or, or watching Scotty, like he's probably mm-hmm. the the ideal swing, or or Louis, or whoever it might be. Like it's it's fascinating. It's a, it's a really interesting complex to think that's like you know, I sit behind a desk all day. Like I'm not, there's no way that my body is going to be able to go out and move like out of who's been playing golf for 30 something years. Like it's a weird paradox in your head, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. And I mean, we've all been through that, like coming through the amateur stuff, it's all about sort of your swing, how it looks and, and you want to keep improving that. And, and I, and I still like, I go through patches where I video my swing a bit and that's when I guess sometimes you can go down a bit of a spiral and cause you want it to look a certain way rather mm. than, Um, perform a certain way and then when I go through months without even videoing it that's probably when I play my best and and I think even Adam Scott has said that before when he's played his best when his coach has just videoed it and he hasn't looked at it and it's just more ball flight and feel based Um, yeah so I I think that's definitely helped more when I've turned professional it's, it's less about the technique and how everything sort of looks and more about um, yeah, how it performs, and I mean the look is a bonus if it, if it looks if it looks good or looks like Adam Adam Scott swing or Louis eustace's and swing. So um, yeah, um, I think it's more performance based rather than how it looks, but it can be difficult.
0: Yeah. I always say I don't really give a shit how the ball gets in the hole as long as it gets in the hole in the least amount of shots. I don't care if I I don't know if I top a ball or whatever and it goes straight. Like I'm okay with that if it's going hundred yards offline different story as long as the ball's going straight and in the right direction i'm okay with it so no it's a it's an exactly. interesting one particularly for amateurs anyway i think you know amateurs get very hard on themselves and they they always myself included go out and you play 18 holes and you're like today's going to be the day that i'm going to break par it's like yeah you've, you've never broken 80 like settle down <laughs> we're, not, we're not breaking par today but yeah take even well,
1: uh, when i'm back at it- um metropolitan my home club playing with i play with the same group of guys on a, on a sunday morning and um a few of them are off, off 18 20 handicaps and i'll be like they'll be next to the green for two and i'll be like they want to play the hero shot like flop it over the bunker and i'm like chip it to the front of the green two part get your five and go to the next and, and they're starting to get that concept of Oh yeah, I don't. I don't need to go for the hero shot. I can just build up my score over the eighteen holes, and I'll end up being around the mark at the end anyway.
0: Hundred so, percent. I've yeah. I've I'm taking religiously now any sort of chip under or you know with twenty to twenty five meters or less. 8 nine. I've put the fifty four degree wedge back in the bag. Like it just doesn't work. Like I don't yeah, generate that's... enough spin. I'm not good enough to get it close to the hole. So play the percentage play, and it seems to be working. So, anyway, Absolutely, so, that's good. <laughs> Good mental game. Take us back to the very beginning, Blake. I mean, we've been going about 20 minutes now, and this is becoming a theme with the uh, interviews that I do without Marsh here as we get sidetracked from the very first question that we normally throw to our guests, and that's where did golf begin for you? What's your first sort of recollections of the sport, and, and how did it all begin for Blake Collier?
1: Yeah, well, uh, mum and dad have got some videos of me at home with some plastic clubs hitting down the hallway, but that was more just, just yeah one of those things as a young kid doing that. But then at um, the age of about 10 or 11, um, I had a best mate at primary school and and we played footy, cricket, tennis, basketball, we played everything together and his dad played golf. And so he wanted his son to do some junior lessons. So I just tagged along with him and, and we did that. And then, I don't know, it was around that sort of time, maybe a few years later, he fell off the monkey bars at school and broke both of his wrists at the same time. And then I just, and then obviously he he couldn't do the golf lessons and I I kept going with them and and as the years progressed I I wanted to play footy or basketball and I did a lot of that and even leading into years 10 11 12 I was playing basketball for the school and representative and domestic so that was a 6 or 7 day a week thing and and I just kept the golf up on the background because I I enjoyed the side of it that it was I would go after school and play 9 holes and it was kind of calming and And I was improving and it was what I put in. I got out of it and that was what I really liked about it. And then come, yeah, I think it was more like sort of, I got in a few under 14 and under 16 development camps with the Victorian sort of squad. And then, yeah, I I saw like a really good opportunity and my golf started to improve and, and then making a few junior, I made a junior state team, I think a few junior state teams. And then, yeah, from there, I just, uh, yeah, I love it. I, from comparing it to a team sport and an individual sport I like this that what I put in I get out of it the team sport was always a bit difficult when other players you've got to be accountable for I guess what they're doing or not doing so with golf it's yeah uh, I think I like that side of it that I can put in the work and I'll get the rewards from um, from that so yeah through kind of high school I was yeah played in the state teams and then got into some men's state teams and um, represented Australia in a junior Pacific cup against the U S and I think that was kind of year 11 and 12. I did that twice once over here and once over there. And, and then I had some opportunities to go to college in the U S or um, get in the Victorian Institute of Sport. And at the time I um, was managed to get in the Victorian Institute of Sport. So I was really happy with that. And as soon as I finished year 12, I went yeah straight into that and and it was in there for four or five years and yeah now i'm here yeah. but there's a lot in between but yeah that's a rough sort of- <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so
0: you must have must have showcased some element of talent quite early on because i mean it, it sounds stupid to say but 10 is probably later in the piece than you know a, hmm. a, a few a few guys that we've had on this podcast you know they pick it up with their three or four or five or six they get handicaps at the age of seven and it's like 10's a little bit later, you're playing footy, you're playing basketball. Like, you must have had some element of talent and and skill within the game of golf for you to keep progressing and wanting to keep progress because it can be a very, as we were just talking about, it can be a very tough game at times, particularly for a 10, 11, 12-year-old, if you're not picking it up with, you know, the skills that come with the game.
1: Yeah, and I think playing those other sports helped because, I don't know, just as a kid, you want to beat your mates or... And, and playing those other sports gave me a bit of, uh, I don't know, a bit of more awareness of my body and, and how to hit the golf club. And that was, I mean, even back then, I, uh, the way I hit the ball compared to the other kids was like, I guess my advantage then. And um, yeah, I carried that through, but um, yeah, I, I think playing all those sports helped. And then as I got older, it just, yeah, it just built on that. I, I would play, I grew up playing at Q Golf Club and, We'd play there every Saturday with the same group of guys that were my age and we just would see who'd get the lowest handicap and just we just kept like kept that up and yeah I loved it and, and that was the best thing was that I got into it because I, I loved playing it and then there was no push or anything from my parents. It's, it's all support. Like, they don't play golf or anything and neither does my sister. so it was just like they would take me to basketball, they'd take me to whichever sport I wanted to do and then just support me with that. And then I ended up with golf. So, and they still, yeah, obviously support me fully with that.
0: You, so you're playing golf, you know, obviously that's taken up a fair chunk of your time. You're playing representative basketball, which you said was a six day a week commitment. You're playing footy at the same time. What sort of report cards are you bringing home at that point in time? Blake, is it Blake Collier is?
1: I I was doing enough. <laughs> to um to pass and everything. But uh yeah, I, I think about it now. We had even at, at school, we had a compulsory Saturday sport. So I did water polo as well. And and it was just I just loved being active and playing sport and competing, no matter what it is. And and looking back now, like I feel like if I was in year 12 now, that's when I'd be ready to study like and knuckle down with that sort of stuff. But at the time it, it was all sport and, um, yeah, yeah. I wish I could kind of have done both at the same time, but no, I'm definitely happy with the <laughs> sport side of things.
0: <laughs> you, you mentioned a minute ago there, you had some college opportunities, um, come up i mean i I don't know if you're willing to share who they came from but it's always fascinating i mean um there's so many different paths to being a professional golfer now and we we talk to guys who have gone to college and they've absolutely loved it it gives them a taste of playing against some of the best young golfers in the world people who go through institutes of sport as as you did turn pro straight away there's so many different paths i mean how did you make that decision to i guess stay at the or or stay in victoria and go to the vis as opposed to going to college over in the states
1: yeah, I think at the time I was, I was still. I guess my coach Marty Joyce at the time was the head coach at the VIS, and and there was a lot of good um, amateurs at the time, and guys that just turned pro in the VIS, like Todd Sinnott, uh, Nathan Holman, even like Lucas Herbert was in it, and and Ben Eccles. There's a lot of guys that were in it, and and girls as well. Um, Joe Charlton was a pro at the time, and. Um, just the competitive environment, the training, I thought would be really good. And, and the with the benefit of being able to stay at home at the time, I probably I don't know how I would have gone going overseas at, on my own at that stage um, and, and staying over there for a long period. So I think that was more um, part of the decision and also the fact that in the VIS, we were able to travel in the Australian winter, we went over to the UK for their summer um, and the US and played tournaments over there. So I was still getting a taste of that international competition at an amateur level against the best guys. We play in the British amateur in and St. Andrew's Lynx Trophy and Scottish amateur in the UK and then go to the US and, and play their, the highest events there. And, and one of the years I qualified for the US amateur. So I think I was able to get a taste of all of that competition, even... And then some of the best coaching in, I would say, probably the world at the time um, through the Victorian Institute of Sport. So I, I got kind of the best of both,
0: I feel. Your amateur career, which you, you just mentioned there, you had some really good results. I'm just reading back here. Fifth in the British Amateur Championship stroke play, second in the Riversdale Cup. You twice won the Dunes medal and you won the W.E. Cole Cotton States Invitation. That is a mouthful uh, <laughs> in the U.S. But you, you had a very good amateur career i guess um you know you got some some trophies in the bank there it must have given you a lot of confidence to i guess turn pro which we'll get to in a minute but you know playing overseas and, and particularly playing in europe is very different to playing here in australia i guess how did that transition go how did your game transition to playing in, in europe and those links courses which you touched on and then ultimately traveling to america as well which is probably a little more aligned to to the courses that we have here
1: Yeah, I think the benefit of, I guess, growing up on the sandbelt is kind of that you get the tape. It's like windy six out of seven days. It's windy (laughs) all the time there. And, And then you get the firm conditions. So it's almost like you get a bit of the UK sort of link style conditions with the firmness. And then, yeah, with the US, you've got to know what number to land your golf ball with an iron shot coming in. So I think I was able to kind of get the best of both with that um but it was definitely difficult like you, you go from playing amateur events in australia and and kind of being the bigger fish or like knowing everyone who's playing and then you go over there and and you've heard a few names but you don't really know anyone you don't really know where you sit and everything so you almost go out well i felt like i almost went out there with less expectation because i didn't know like you don't know anyone you're just like oh i'll just go on and do my best and see where that kind of sits um So and then as the years went on, it almost, you put a bit more pressure on yourself because you're like, oh, I've been, I've done this trip twice now and I want to start competing a bit more and, and playing well. So, um, but the more, I think that definitely helped a lot, like being able to play links courses and then go to the U S and play like thick rough courses and, and, um, yeah, where you've got to land the ball right next to the flag and just trying to adapt to all different, different conditions, um, yeah, it was really good.
0: That, uh, that fifth at the British Amateur Championship in the stroke play, that must have been something quite special to finish that high in such a prestigious event, I guess, and maybe just run us through that and, and I guess the confidence that I, ultimately that gave your game.
1: Yeah, well, I think at the time it was at Royal Aberdeen Golf Club and it was, it was so windy. I think i finished even or one under par like around that mark for a fifth place so it, w- it was really tough um and at the time I even now like when the conditions get tough I tend to sort of enjoy that lick my lips a bit because it it, it my ball striking kind of comes through and it, it separates the field a little bit um so that's more what my mindset was at that tournament was just just keep making pars and just and then a few birdies will come and and just eliminate the bogey. So it's less about trying to make a score and then just more, just building it up over the 18 holes. And, and that finish. um, Yeah. It gave me a lot of confidence that I could compete at that level with, with some of the best amateurs at the time. And, and then I think that sort of translated into, I qualified for the U S amateur It might've been a year or two after that. And that was at Riviera in uh, 2017, maybe I think. And I managed to scrape into the the top 64 the match play with an eagle birdie finish and then came up against Colin Morikawa in the match play, first round of the match play. And right. I, I told this story a few times. I, I just saw my tee time of I think it was 8.15 the next morning and I was going to go to bed and I was staying with a mate from Sydney and he's come running into my room and he's like, oh you're playing Colin. he's number three amateur in the world he's done xyz and i was like oh like it just rattled me and i got there the next day and there was cameras and people everywhere and and i would have just turned up and just played him have like i said before like having not known who he was um uh yeah but i was kind of rattled the first few holes and and he, he beat me quite easily but um either way it was a really good experience and and even there, competing at that level i know that i can i can do that it's just um finding
0: out my path there to, to get out there. Uh, this is met with the greatest respect, but does it feel okay to be beaten by a two-time major champion? Yeah, <laughs> in it match play. I mean, <laughs> he's, uh, he, we're talking about ball striking. He's the best iron player that we've had since Tiger, I think, in my opinion anyway. But mm. like... Is, is that okay? Like, now a few yeah. years down the track, you're now, like, uh, like, at is. the time it sucked, but like I'm sure now you're kind of like, oh, this is – it's okay, sort of. <laughs>
1: yeah. At the time it was a bit different, but now yeah. it's like, oh, it's okay. But um, even then his ball striking was so good. He just hit the same little fade every time and, um, yeah, just wore me down, I guess. <laughs> and, um, yeah, you can see why he's such a good player now and, and doing such great things. So.
0: Let's uh, talk to me about your decision to turn pro, obviously, as we sort of touched on at the top, October of 2019. You were not to know what the world was going to look like some three months later, but uh, who did you consult? uh, Take us through, was that always part of the timeline? Was it sort of set that this is when you wanted to turn pro? Were you waiting for amateur results? Talk to us about your decision and and who you consulted.
1: Yeah, so um, it, it had a little bit to do with, amateur results I mean um, that year in the winter of that year I, I went overseas and that was my fourth trip over to play the the amateur stuff over um, amateur tournaments over there and and I think that or the year before I won the tournament in the US and it was sort of building towards that and I was at a point where I think my amateur ranking just got inside the world amateur ranking just got inside the top 50 in the world and and at the time I wasn't in a position to get into the top 10 in the amateur world ranking where that can open a few doors. So I felt like I consulted my coach and uh, like mentor and now manager um, and just spoke of, and family as well. And just spoke about what, what it kind of looked like. And, and if I was ready to make that transition and it all kind of looked like it was pointing in the right direction to, to get out there and, and give it a go. And, and I think one of the things that's been good about, turning pro is that it's, it's all um, sort of on me in terms of I'm running my own sort of like business, I guess, Mm. whereas as an amateur, it's more, I don't know. It just just doesn't have, it's, it's like I've kind of gone into this and I can take that professionalism that I always felt like I had, but now really like own it. And um, yeah, I feel like I've person by pro and kind of owning my stuff. Um so, yeah, I, I think that was more just consulting the people around me that, that had been supporting me and, and been around for those the five, six years before that. And, um, yeah, we were all happy with that decision and, um, yeah, and the transition to turn pro.
0: Remiss of me not to uh, circle back to the W.E. Cole Cotton States invitation, the uh, tournament that you mentioned that you won just there in the US. So we'll go back a step here talk to me about that win uh tell me what that sort of meant to you i guess to go over to the u.s where i guess it's the pinnacle of golf um anywhere the pga tour is over there corn ferries over there it's all it, golf is in the u.s so what was it like to go over to the states i guess as you mentioned before you you you're a big fish and then you've gone over over um overseas to play and and things are a little bit bigger and better like what was it like to to go over and win and I guess it must just do you confidence like you can't even put it into words I'm sure going over and winning.
1: Yeah absolutely I mean I'd competed well in a few events in, in previous years I think my, one of my first events in the US I um, came fourth at a tournament at the Olympic Club in San Francisco and and I and I knew I could compete over there and then the, that event the coal Cotton States was in um, Louisiana and there was mm. I'd played at the I think I played it two years previous to that and when I first went over to the US for those tournaments I didn't have the world ranking that some of the other Victorians and Australians had that so I couldn't get into some of the bigger tournaments so I went to some events on my own just just because I wanted to keep competing while I was over there and that was one of them at the time and then I met a really nice family that that I stayed with and, and two years later we had a, a week where we a mate and I didn't have an event, so we, we went and played it. And, I mean, he won the stroke. It was a two-round stroke play into match play, and he won the stroke play, and we both qualified for the match play and went quite deep. And then, yeah, I mean, in the final, it was, it was pretty surreal that it ended the way it did, and I was able to win. I, um, I think I was, like, two up with four holes to go and had a hole-in-one on the 16th hole to go – or the 15th <laughs> hole, sorry, to go three up with three to go. So, um, and just knowing that I could compete at that level overseas gave me that. That's yeah, the confidence and, and more a bit of self belief that yeah, my game's good enough and, and I can keep building on it to yeah, really compete at any
0: level. Uh, so, hole in one, did you say like walk, walk off hole in one ultimately? Is that did you say that that was uh, the score would have worked right? Or did you still have another uh, next, hole? To play? Uh, we had to play one more hole. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Yeah it's it difficult. would have been good if it was just <laughs> the last but yeah absolutely it would have that would have been certainly yeah. nice uh speaking of uh playing well and, and putting together nice rounds um so you turned t- pro in October of 19 and then as you mentioned you didn't uh didn't were or well, you weren't allowed into the the Vic PGA i guess so you went and qualified by shooting a 10 under 60 61 just um just as a, as, as a bit of fun i guess um <laughs> How what happened in that round? I know that you then backed it up and did it in competition two rounds later as well on day two. So all clicked, all clicked together. One of those days, I guess, was it where where athletes say that they were in the zone? I guess ultimately,
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd had a few. I'd actually had a sixty-one in a tournament in Victoria. I don't know, might have been a few years before that, and when I sort of have those low rounds. It just feels like I, I don't really know what score I am. I know I'm really under par, but I'm not keeping track of what I am. I just sort of I'm so in the zone, like just playing every shot as it comes and, and hit, reading the part and then hitting it where it is and it's going in. And and then at the end it's sort of, oh, wow, it was 10 or like it could have been eight. Like I didn't really know. I just I just knew I was really low and, and the, the round goes really quickly and, yeah, you just – every shot is – you're so into every shot, and you're not thinking about the result. You're just like, I want to hit a high draw seven 9 here, and then you just go, <laughs> "This is what I want to do to hit that shot." And then you, yeah, and at the time, everything's sort of coming together, and it and it, and it feels really good. And it, it's hard to tap into that um, often, but but when it happens,
0: it's yeah, it's it's really good. And I guess then going out and doing it in competition, it, it uh, I don't know. Can you separate the two, the two rounds? Because I mean, ultimately, you've got one to get into the tournament but then you've got one in the tournament as well can you kind of separate them was one better than the other
1: oh uh, not really i don't know the hard thing was is that i i guess i thought i was going to get an invite into the event so there was almost a bit of well i'm going to prove to you that i can play in this event and that was still more on the monday and then the tuesday I, I wasn't really expecting i was more just like oh this is awesome like i'm playing in my first pro event and then um I mean, the qualifying was on the same course as well. So it's kind of suited my eye um, down at Cape Shank. And um, yeah, I, I, I just I just went from there and didn't really, I couldn't really separate the two. I mean, the, the one in the tournament was probably, you could say a little bit more difficult because it was under that tournament sort of pressure. But um, yeah, I mean, I've since been able to do similar sort of low rounds at, at Cobram, was that two weeks ago, two mm-hmm. or three weeks ago? I shot eight under in the the third round there, which is a course record, and that felt the same as those rounds. Like you're just in the zone and and hitting the shots you want and rolling in the putts and just yeah, it, it all comes together for a low score.
0: So. It's uh, it must must be very nice, mate, because I wouldn't wouldn't know <laughs> what that uh, wouldn't, wouldn't know what it's like. I guess I don't want to uh, I don't want to go too negative on this, but then that same tournament in the third round to then come out and and not play particularly as well as you, you did clearly the day before, but by your standards, I'm sure, you know, you'd agree that it wasn't a great round. Like, how do you kind of put it all into perspective when you come a, when you walk away at the end of the week, you finished fourth, outright fourth, I think. Mm. Um, how do you walk away at the end of the week? You go, I had this fantastic 61. I followed it up with a pretty average round, first professional event. Do you kind of just go like, well, it was my first professional event or are you hard on yourself? Like, how, how do you sort of put all that together in, in your own head
1: yeah I mean I mean in that third round the conditions took a big turn they were, like, mm-hmm. I mean, it was extremely windy compared to the few days previous and and it was my first time I guess first event first time in a lead in a pro event and it was pretty hard but I guess the the thing I kind of looked at in review was more that what I did to get myself in that position rather than being too hard on myself and then more working out okay if, if I get in that position again what sort of tools and things can I can I use to to try and do my best in in um, in that position again and and even like Cobram a few weeks ago I, I was leading going to the the last round and playing in the final group and I hadn't been in a final group in a professional event before and and I felt really comfortable out there and just wasn't able to piece together the score that that I needed on the day and and maybe there was a little bit of sense of trying too hard but otherwise it was like it just didn't come together that day how I would have hoped. And it's, yeah, it's just more playing, knowing that it will happen at some point. Like I will win an event at some point and um, I'm just going to keep giving myself the chances rather than beating myself up going, Oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. Like I'm not good enough. Like, yeah, it's more about building progressively over time and and knowing that um, it will. Yeah. I'll keep giving myself the chances and, and one day it will it will come through. And I heard something really good Rory McIlroy was saying the other day. He said, I've played over 300 professional events and won 30 of them. So I've lost over 280 times, I think he said. So he's like, and that's a Hall of Fame career. So it just shows how difficult golf can be and, and getting that win can be. But if I can keep giving myself those chances and, and shooting those low rounds and and learning each day from, from that, then... I think I'll give myself good chances for for the win.
0: What what are your goals for twenty twenty two? I get or the twenty one twenty two wraparound season. What are your what are your goals? I guess a win would obviously be up there, but maybe from from you, what are you hoping to achieve this year?
1: Yeah, a, a win would be great, but another thing would be to try and get out on on a main tour, whether it's Europe, US, Corn Ferry, um, and just keep giving myself chances i I know with the order of merit in australia now there's a few more opportunities with like top three getting a european tour card and there's certain things about getting into final stage of corn ferry tour school if you finish in the top five and and so it's just yeah just trying to build and and do that and try and work my way up the order of merit and um whether it's this year or next year And, and even at the end of the year going to some tour schools in europe and and just trying over there and um uh, yeah I just want to keep learning and, and growing with my game and, and myself as a person and each day and that's kind of what my coach and I keep talking about it it's it's not about one fixed point in time with a certain event it's more like they almost get in the way I guess as you, as your development keeps progressing and um, obviously I want to perform well every day I, I go out there um, but yeah, it's more just that, that putting on the building blocks. And, and hopefully, yeah, this year it does it does lead to some good things and hopefully getting on a main tour. And um, even in the last week, I found out I've got an invite into the Delhi Golf Club Open on the Asian Tour in two weeks, I think. So um, that'll be a good opportunity to test my game over there and, and, and see what I could do um, on, that, on, the, well, on that sort of stage. So it's exciting.
0: Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, I was just looking here. We got six events left on the the Aussie tour, I guess. Aside from uh, getting invites onto Asian tours, you plan to play the rest of the the Aussie season?
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah. So, and they're all good opportunities to to have strong finishes and, and just keep getting getting better under tournament conditions. And that's been the best thing is that since turning pro, this has been my first patch of week in week out events. I think. After India, I would have played nine out of the last ten weeks. So, and that's what I want to do. Like, it's awesome being able to compete week in, week out, and um, test my game and and keep trying to improve. So, yeah, I haven't had that since I guess some amateur events when I was overseas in the US when we played maybe three in a row. So, it's been great to be able to bunch up some events. And yeah, I just want to keep competing and and playing as much as I can.
0: Last question, and we'll leave you on a light-hearted one uh what we generally do uh Blake and we with yeah, our research uh we go through people's Instagram feeds but you've been um okay. you're very clean cut Blake you've done a very good job of keeping all the the funny stuff I mean a very contrast to Lincoln Ty who we had on <laughs> last week as well but one yeah. thing that did catch my eye here uh under your uh, sponsors i'm assuming you got some great great sponsors solitude estate um yes. talk to talk to me about solitude estate because i don't think i've ever seen a professional golfer who uh, is sponsored by a winery before yeah well it's close
1: like my girlfriend's dad owns the vineyard in the yarra valley and um yeah we i wanted to help like support him and him support me so it was kind of a mutual thing and and um yeah it's um I had never really drunk too much wine before I met her and then a few dinners family dinners I was like oh there's a glass there I better have a have a drink so and now I quite enjoy it but uh, it's it's very good wine and um yeah it's more a mutual sort of um relationship there and yeah I'm proud to have them um, sponsor and, and on my shirt so absolutely yeah, if, you're, if you're looking for a glass you should definitely check it out
0: i said cer- i certainly will i mean we've got a <laughs> we've got a wonderful beer sponsor in gauge roads for this podcast we don't have a wine sponsor so maybe we'll uh we'll get okay. the good team up at, at solitude yeah. marshy is very much the uh wine connoisseur of this this program i'm uh only dipping my toe into the into the realm of of wide so uh no we'll certainly keep an eye out for for solitude estate uh one last time give your a uh your podcast a plug uh where can people find it what's called one more time yeah it's called
1: never too late and it's on instagram oh sorry on instagram yeah i've got a page on instagram and then it's on spotify apple podcasts and a few other podcast platforms but um yeah if you just search up never too late or never too late with blake um you'll be able to find it there. And, um, yeah, I've put out five or six episodes and hopefully a few more to come soon. So, yeah, hopefully you guys can have a listen and enjoy that.
0: Absolutely, yeah. If uh, to all of our people and fans listening out there, definitely get around uh, Blake's podcast. But it's been a lot of fun to have a chat to you about your career, obviously, a few challenges along the way over the past couple of years. And and hopefully uh, this is just the beginning of your journey now. And, and we wish you the very best of luck for the remainder of the Aussie season and, and obviously over in India as well, which would be fantastic to watch you on the international stage, but we look forward to, to seeing you achieve some really good things this year. So thanks very much for jumping on the 19th scene, having a chat to us.
1: No worries. Thanks so much for having me. It was, uh, it was great to have a chat. I really appreciate it. Thank you.